I do want to thank the church leaders, Pastor John, for the opportunity uh, to share God's word with you. I thought I might give you a brief bio, a little short testimony. Uh, 1974, if you were around then. 1974, that was a big year for Brenda and me. Um, there was one night in particular, it was a big night. Uh, that was the first time that uh, I taught the scriptures. I was asked to teach in the church we attended. And it was a young man, and I thought, I'm going to make this night real special. Brenda and I were dating. Uh, I was 21, a long time ago. He was 19. And uh, I thought, tonight, I'm going to ask her to, to marry me. We'll see how that works. And so, uh, being old school, a traditionalist, got down on one knee as we were together. And uh, I said, will you marry me? And you know what she said? What? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. So I asked again, will you marry me? And then she said, when? <laughs> well, we did uh, get married. It was 49 years ago. And... God has been faithful to us, and uh, we look forward to the day when we'll see him face to face. I selected Revelation 22, the end of the story. You and I have been reading the Old Testament, studying the Old Testament, the New Testament, and uh, people in general, they, they love Stories that, that have a great ending, whether it's a, a book, oh, I love this book, there's a, there's a great ending. Or whether it's a, a movie, or maybe it's your ball team. We, we love the ending of the victories. And uh, what we're going to do, having uh, studied the Bible for so many years, we're going we're gonna, to uh, go to the end of the story. Because the end of the story is a great story. It's a great ending, and uh, if, if you have your Bibles, I'm sure that you do, uh, let's go ahead and turn to chapter 1, and I would like to read to you what the Apostle John, who, by the way, is going to identify himself as the author uh, of this last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, let's start there. Let me read verse 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And I wanted to read that first because you'll notice there's a, you know, what's been called a beatitude. That's maybe not a word we're used to using every day, but a, a beatitude means a pronounced 
blessing, a great blessing has been announced. And in the book of the Revelation, as you read through there, you'll find that there are actually seven times in the book of the Revelation where these uh, uh, blessings, uh, these announcements of, of blessing are given. This is the first one. So it's, it's there right at the beginning of the book to encourage the reader. This, this book is unlike any other book that, that we've ever held and read. And that blessing again, let me read it again. Verse 3, blessed is the one that reads aloud the words of this prophecy. There's blessing for that person. But look at number, uh, secondly, it says, and blessed are those who hear. Now that's where you and I fall into that category. We have the, we have the option. By the way, it is an option. The text says, blessed are those that hear. You have the option of to have ears to hear. And in scripture, we'll talk about that. People that have ears to hear. There's a sense of receptivity, if I'll use that term. Of the, you, you have a sense of, of, of hunger to know God's truth a hunger to, to hear from God. And so as the blessing begins here, there's blessing for the ones that's reading the words, but there's blessing for those to hear. And then finally, for those who hear, those who keep what's written in it. And we're talking about application there. And then this final little clause there, you'll see it at the end. Uh, for the time is near. This, what we're considering today, and and actually what this congregation considers every time that it meets together, is uh, the words of the living God recorded in Scripture. And this issue of uh, telling us, reminding us that the time is near. Uh, there's, a, there's a great ending in this, uh, the way this book ends, uh, and we'll see it in your outline. The, the emphasis is upon the return of Christ, and we're not talking about that because, oh, that would be an interesting thing to talk. Let's talk about that. Now, if we're, if we're reading and studying Revelation 22 three times in that chapter, uh, we read these words, Behold, I'm coming soon. Okay, we get it. No, let me tell you again. Uh, uh, behold, I'm coming soon. And then three times, the third time, surely. you and, and there's a little change in wording there, but the surely is emphasizing a certainty about what's been said. Jesus is coming soon. Now, I, I've heard that for 49 years. Oh, wait, what happened was soon? What, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, the emphasis there, uh, and we won't talk a, little, a lot about that right at the moment, but it, it's an emphasis on the imminence, the fact that it can happen at any time. He can, the Lord Jesus can return. And by the way, uh, he said that he would return. And so here, as the book begins, the time is near. Uh, which 
should motivate the hearers uh, to consider uh, how it applies to them. Let's go back to Revelation uh, chapter 21 and verse 5. We'll land there for in these introductory comments. Verse 5 said, chapter 21, verse 5 says this, He uh, who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You see that? <clears throat> the angel is instructing the Apostle John, who's the author of this, write this down, because this is true. And in our day, when uh, things of uh, the Christian faith are questioned, this is an important reminder. This is a good reminder even for Christian people that have walked with the Lord and, and hear this constant voice and pressure from the world, oh, you can't trust the Bible. Uh, just this week on the news, I uh, heard that the Bible is dangerous. And believing it is a cause for fear. And I'm sorry. Well, I'm not sorry, but I have a different attitude, a different perspective. And here we're, we're reminded that, that this is true. And in uh, chapter 22 and verse 6, where we'll spend concentrated time this morning, the text says this. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. There it is again. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must take place. This is, uh, this is a great book, the book of the Revelation. By the way, uh, it is one revelation. And I realize, you know, this is not rocket science. You get that. Uh, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's chapter 1, verse 1. It's not the book of revelations, plural. It's one revelation. It's from him, it's about him. Now, there are a lot of things revealed, and so I understand why sometimes people refer to it as revelations, plural. But there's one particular thing, there's one person it's about, and one person that is exalted in the book, it's Jesus Christ. And so if we read and study the book of the Revelation, then we have to ask ourselves when we're done, uh, what have I learned about him? It, because it's all about him. Now let's, uh, let's review the outline uh, this morning. In Revelation 22, the first five verses is about our home, our eternal home. And that's described in uh, chapter 21 in its entirety, if you want to know about uh, 
the glories of heaven and what it'll be like and what you'll see and what you'll experience and what you'll hear. Revelation 21 and the first five verses of chapter 22 answer that question. Well, then we come to verse 6 through 21, and we're talking about uh, our hope here. And the reason that uh, I selected that uh, word is because of Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, uh, that talks about our blessed hope. Let me just read that verse, those few verses. Uh, they say this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so we'll talk about our home, our heavenly home, and we'll talk about uh, our hope, the, the appearing of our Lord Jesus. And the apostles also describe this as a uh, living hope. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Let me remind you of those words. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again unto a living Hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Now watch this. For a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Wait, salvation ready to, ready to be revealed? Yeah, well, you know, if you've studied the scriptures for a while, you'll find out that this whole subject of salvation is presented in scripture in three tenses. It talks about a person who has been saved. It talks about people who are being saved. And what we just read here is talking about a person that will be saved uh, from the word salvation that's ready to be Revealed. We're talking about justification. I've been saved. We're talking about sanctification. Yeah, those are big terms. But sanctification is just literally to be set apart uh, for God. It's, it's a pro progressive work of God that he begins when we're converted. And it goes on and on uh, in his will. And hopefully, we're becoming more like him. Justified, uh, we've been saved. Sanctified, we're being saved. And what we've just read here in 1 Peter 1, a salvation that is ready to be revealed. Uh, yes, a, a big change taking place, glorification. We will be saved. And, and so this is our, our blessed hope. We've got... A, a uh, the blessed hope, uh, a living hope, and as we heard in the uh, first hour, a purifying hope. And these are great things to consider, but we're talking about the fact that 
Uh, Jesus is our blessed hope, the one that is coming again. And in chapter 22, let me show you three verses where the uh, Spirit of God has told us the same thing over and over and over. He wants us to get this. When Jesus was here, he said he's returning. His apostles said that he is returning. The scriptures say that he is returning. And what we should believe and prepare for is this. He is returning. And we need to be ready. Here in chapter 22, verse 7, let's look at this one. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There's the first time. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And then in verse 20. He who testifies these things says, Surely, there's that uh, certainty term, surely I am coming soon, amen. And what else can we say but come, Lord Jesus? And over and over again, we're told to wait. I, I heard it, I heard it the first time. Now let me tell you again, and let me tell you a third time. And so when, when our time is done, we, we close our Bibles and we walk away we're to walk away with this great thought that he is coming soon. Now let's uh, look, uh, let's do some exposition here in the first uh, five verses. Let's, let's talk about our home, our eternal home. And we'll just do this briefly. This is, uh, we've tackling a big, ta this is a big task here to, go through a whole chapter in one sitting. And, but let's, let's just uh, acquaint ourselves with what the scriptures say. We'll make some comments as we go. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river of water of life. Hang on to that. A river of water of life. Well, what, what will we see there? What will that be like? A river of water of life. Bright as, described this way, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God. He's the source and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, is the tree of life. There's another key term. We've got in, in heaven, in glory to come, we've got water of life. We've got tree of life. Sounds like there's a lot about life there. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he came, he said, and he, he explained his ministry this way, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. <laughs> Abundant life. And uh, so in uh, glory, we ex expect to see and experience these great things. That is, we continue on, on verse 2. Let me just start there again. 
through the middle of the street of the city on either side of the river is the tree of life. And with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. Uh, tree of life producing unique fruits, a, a variety, a different fruit uh, every month. And the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations. Wait a minute, healing of the nations? I thought this is heaven. I thought sin's all gone, the curse is gone. Well, that's true. And so whatever healing uh, of the nations is, uh, we have to keep in mind that the curse has been lifted. There's no more sin. There's no more uh, death. There's no more sickness, pain, sorrow. The former things are passed away. And yet, we have this term for the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. And so some have suggested that this may just be a reference to therapeutic benefits uh, that just adds to the enjoyment of the glories of heaven. And yeah, so we've got water of life, tree of life. You'll notice... Uh, and let me just show you this at the end of chapter 21, chapter 21, verse 27, uh, the text says this, nothing unclean will enter it. That is the uh, new Jerusalem, the glories of heaven. Nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who were written in the Lamb's book of life. That's a special book. You want your name in that book. We've talked about uh, tree of life, water of life, uh, and here the book of life. Jesus saying, I've, I've come to give abundant life. Uh, these are great uh, blessings in the future that actually are available now. In verse 4. Let's continue moving right along. They shall see, and we're talking about his servants there in verse 4. His servants shall worship him. Verse 4, they shall see his face, and his names will be, uh, his name will be in their foreheads. In the first part of verse 4, there's a new intimacy with God. And now, our personal communion with God, you know, it's, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's that roller coaster experience. Some days, our communion with God is, is better, more intense, more full than at other days when we're having difficulty living the Christian life through assault from the world of darkness. And this, this new intimacy is, is just, this is something that's been uh, written that we will see his face. Now that's very different than Moses' experience in the Old Testament. You remember that when uh, 
Moses is interacting with God and that Moses is very interested in seeing more, more of the presence of God. Show me your glory. And God says to him, well, maybe you didn't know this, and I'm being a little loose here in the mentioning the text, but nobody can see me and live. You can't survive this. The, the radiance of God's glory is so majestic that a mere human being cannot look upon God and survive. And so what God says to him is, you can't see my face. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go by. And I'll, I'm going to, I'll, I'll take you and I will put you in the cleft of the rock, a little opening, a little split there. I'm going to put you in there. And when I pass by, I'm going to put my hand over that. And when I pass by, I'll remove my hand and you'll get to see the, my backside, the, the afterglow. <laughs> But to see me, you, you, you don't get to do that. Not face to face. Do you know what heaven will be like? We, it's hard for us to imagine. Verse 4, they will see his face. And there is a new intimacy that we can expect uh, with the living God. And then at the end of verse 4, you'll notice this. Uh, that his name will be in their foreheads. Sounds odd. <laughs> but whatever, whatever that is, I mean, it, it just may be that. But there is a clear identifying mark on the believer in glory that we belong to him. Now, sometimes it's hard to tell. Somebody says they're a Christian. Are they really? <clears throat> and that, that, can, that is a problem. You know, even the apostles, remember the 12 apostles? When Jesus said in the upper room discourse, the night that he was betrayed and they're together, they're having the last supper experience and Jesus drops this bomb. One of you will betray me. Well, <laughs> Didn't know that was part of the program. Well, I wonder who that is. And so you can imagine their eyes going back. I wonder if it's him. I wonder if it's him. I wonder if it's me. Nobody knew who it was. And the person that it was, Judas Iscariot, would have been last on the list of the, of the possible people that would have betrayed him. But... There's a new intimacy with God, a new identity with him. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. You know this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, the text says this, blessed are the pure in heart. That means something has happened in your dark heart. There's, uh, you've been regenerated. New life has been given. And those that are pure in heart, Jesus says, pronounces this amazing. And by the way, anytime the, the term blessed is in their revelation, uh, Sermon on the Mount, literally the term 
uh, so we read from linguists, literally means happy. (laughs) Now that we've really got some joy going on. Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they shall see God. A new identity, a new intimacy uh, with God in heaven. And in Revelation uh, 20.22, there are some things that are missing, and we're we're glad that they are. Verse uh, 3 says this, No longer will there be anything accursed. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him. The curse is gone. And uh, verse 5, night will be no more. I like the night now, right now. And, and I can tell you, it's, it's just about time for, the, for night. I can feel it. I, I need the night. I like the night. You know, in heaven, there's no night. Why, the curse is removed. And yeah, I kind of expect that the activities in heaven will involve great exploration of revealing all that our Lord and King and Savior has prepared for us. And I'll use that term prepared intentionally because Jesus said in my many's house, in, in my father's house, remember this, for many mansions. Now that's, I'm an old guy, so I, I grew up on the King James Bible. So a lot of times when I'm quoting, I just default back to that. And uh, using the ESV uh, this morning, but... In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. What did he say? I go to prepare a place for you. And this he said this to these apostles. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So that uh, wherever I am, there you may be also. I mean, that's a great promise from God. It's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, New identity, new intimacy, some things that are missing. Uh, But I wonder what we'll do. Well, there's at least two suggestions. uh, The end of verse 3 that we've read here, it says, His servants will worship him. We will will continue (laughs) to worship But can you imagine worship without dealing with your sin? That this is this is the uh, point. That uh, you know, for some people that may oh great heaven yeah what's that? Well, it's just a twenty four seven worship service. (laughs) Well, don't be discouraged. I mean, that's uh, our worship services are the times that we look forward to now, and that great fact is going to blossom in eternity into imaginable ways, uh, unimaginable ways. We will worship. We won't joining the angel choirs, a great thing. I enjoy the music here, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to the music there. 
and uh, look at look at verse five. The night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they and here's another activity: they will reign forever and ever. And as you've studied the some of the parables, uh, you'll read about. Uh, time of accountability where God's people appear before their master and hear these words. You've done well, have authority over five cities. And you've done well, have authority over ten cities. And so there appears to be uh, some reigning uh, going on. Now we've got to move quickly here and so... Let's, let's move on to this idea of uh, Christ's return, our hope, the blessed hope. Uh, as we've just mentioned, the Lord Jesus talked about his return at the Last Supper, John 14. We just mentioned that. Uh, uh, angels, if you'll remember, when Jesus ascended, remember that in Acts chapter 1, when uh, Jesus had risen from the dead, saying his goodbyes, and, and, and he ascends. And the disciples just stand there with, I'm guessing, their mouths hanging open, <laughs> uh, gazing into the sky. And, and so the question is put to them, ye men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you will come again in like manner, just as you've seen him go. He's coming. And it's up to him. It's on his schedule. And we don't know what it is. But the uh, Jesus mentioned it. The angels mentioned it. And every communion service, and you know this already, every communion service in 1 Corinthians 11, for, uh, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we'll keep doing that until he comes. A great reminder of his sacrifice for us. You know what? This idea that Jesus is coming again and we have new identity, new experience, new intimacy, all the glories of heaven... For a Christian, you know, it's a great thing. I want to hear more about this. <laughs> but not everybody is thrilled. And nobody knows that better than the Lord. And so hold your place with me and, uh, and turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, you know, the Lord... Put this in scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And so, uh, verse 4, let's just keep going. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? And so a Q&A session begins. Now, what's the question? The question is, 
I thought he was coming. Where is he at? Where is the promise of his coming? Been a long time. And in the Q&A session, uh, we don't hear anybody saying, I'm glad you asked, because <laughs> here's, here's the answer. But the answer is given. And so in verse 5, let's continue reading. Well, let's, let's back up to verse 4. Where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things can, are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they uh, deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word, the heavens and the earth now exist are stored up for fire, uh, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Historically, the flood interrupted people's schedule. <laughs> Nobody was expecting that. Now, they were warned for one, at least according to the story in Scripture, 120 years, the patience of God was displayed as Noah and his sons would, in between building, would go out street preaching, I guess, holding little Bible classes. You know, destruction is on its way. God is going to intervene, and, and in Noah's day that happened. And the text that we just read indicates that it's going to happen again. But not the world not destroyed by water, right? We've got a we've got a uh, divine sign in the skies, the rainbow, and which, by the way, there shouldn't be any debate about the meaning of the rainbow, right? <laughs> uh, and we've been told that, and actually described in the New Testament the great destruction that is coming again, not by water, but by fire. But uh, as Peter continues to answer that question, you know, where is the promise of his coming? Uh, look at verse 8. It says, but they do not uh, overlook this one, but they, uh, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord is one day, it's as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow concerning to fulfill his promise, as some men count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't he come? Where's the promise of his coming? I thought Jesus was coming. You're preaching this to me. Well, where is he at? Do you know he's coming on his own timetable? And part of the reason is, you know, he measures time a little different than you and I do. You know, I'm on minutes and, and seconds. He's on a thousand years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. And by the way, don't forget this. Do you want to know why he hasn't come? He hasn't come because there are still people out there in the world that don't know him. He's, he's waiting for people to come to him. 
he's not willing that it tells us something about our God. He's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's, that's, yeah, that's the answer. Now, uh, we've got three times, and we've, we've already gone over this, Jesus' return and our response. In Let's go back to Revelation 22 as we're winding down here. Jesus' return and our response, there is a response of obedience in verse uh, 6 and 7. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. There, there's that reminder again. Don't forget this. This is true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servant uh, what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There's special blessing for people that obey. Times aren't getting better. We know that. But we can get better. We can, we can uh, take the word of God that, we're, that we learn and that we're taught, and we can... Obey it and apply it, and we can live life with an expectation uh, that that He is coming. First John, as we've gone through that on Sunday mornings, there's a great blessed assurance text in First John two three. By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments, and that's what we're talking about here. Now the the end of the I've got some Christian friends that are real big on the the great Christians great commission about going into the world preaching the gospel baptizing people yeah but uh, you do know that the great commission ends with these words teach them to obey whatever I've commanded you and that's a part of that message too well there. Uh, is a response of obedience, a response of worship, verses 8 and 9, a response of urgency in 10 and 11. And then we come to verse 12 and uh, Jesus' return and his recompense. Verse 12 says, I am coming and I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And what we are talking about uh, for believers is the rewards that God will bestow by his grace upon his people for what they have done for him here and now. And by the way, he's omniscient. He remembers all the things that I've forgotten and all the things that you've forgotten. And that'll be a great time uh, of rejoicing. Uh, let me remind you of uh, a hymn, uh, if you're old school. And, and, you know, I started, Brenda and I started to walk with the Lord when there wasn't contemporary Christian music. All there was was hymns. That was it. And so <clears throat> back in those days, I left John, Paul, George, 
and Ringo for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> uh, that was a big change. <clears throat> and let me tell you about this hymn. This was at the end of the Civil War, the American Civil War. Imagine, you know, we're frustrated with our country now, uh, many of us, and I just can't imagine the American Civil War. Uh, just horrendous. But at the end of the American Civil War, Baltimore, Maryland, there's a church there, a lady, a Christian woman, Elvina Hall, wrote the words to the hymn that we sing, Jesus Paid It All. She wrote the words. The church organist, John Grape, composed the music. The pastor found out about the, these two projects, brought these two congregants together, and we've been singing Jesus Paid It All. Uh, since 1865. Let me remind you of verse 3. Verse 3 of that hymn. Nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I'd like to go on, but we're out of time. I think that's a great place to, to stop. We're, we're left standing at the foot of the cross, and we're left standing at the empty tomb, <clears throat> and we're left standing waiting to see him because we will, as believers, face to face. That's a great, great thought. That's a perfect. That's a great ending to the New Testament of the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've taught us. Lord, we come into your holy presence and seek forgiveness for our shortcomings. Lord, we offer praise, thanks to you for your long suffering, for your patience toward us, for your work in us. Lord, we long to see your face, and we pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.